You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome again to The Way Home Podcast. I want to welcome you, friends. Thankful for all of your feedback, uh, whether you've written uh, reviews on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, or some of the kind emails you've sent by contacting me through my website at danieldarling.com. Keep those coming. If you uh, would like to write a review, uh, if you send it to me through my contact page at my website, danieldarling.com, I would love to send you a free copy of my book, Away With Words, a free signed copy. I'd love uh, to do that for you. Well, today... We have a great guest in store, someone that I've had on the podcast before, Kara Powell. And uh, Kara is the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute, uh, which is a great resource. Uh, and she has been just a really good voice and help in helping us think through the spiritual formation of our kids. And she's got a brand new book uh, talking about the uh, questions that teens ask and uh, want to ask her some questions about this book. It's called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. Kara is, is really great. She's a, a mom, and she talks personally about some of her experience uh, as a parent raising children, but also the research uh, of evangelical teens and what kind of drives behavior and really helping us think through what it, what it looks like to raise kids who love the Lord, who are ready to uh, make a difference in the world. You want to pull up a chair or uh, really tune in uh, to this conversation with uh, my good friend, Kara Powell. Kara, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be back with you, Daniel. Kara, I am so glad to have you, and uh, the galley copy of your book came a little bit ago, and I was just excited to see it as someone who um, uh, has four kids. My oldest is 16. My son's going to be 13, uh, 12-year-old, 10-year-old. So we're in the thick of it, and I've you always appreciated We are living it, yeah. And I've always appreciated your work. It's just been enormously helpful over the years, and so I'm thankful for it. And really, your transparency, too. Not just, you know, you're an expert on this, but you also talk about your own parenting challenges and journey as well. So just want to thank you for that. Well, my pleasure. It's a, it's an honor to do this research and it certainly does change my own faith in parenting. Yeah. I want to ask you before we get into uh, this great new book you have, it's called three big questions that change every teenager, making the most of your conversations and connections. Um, And we'll have links to this in the show notes. We're going to ask several questions from this, but I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but how did you get how, how did you find your calling in terms of um, researching, studying, writing, talking about teens? Was it born out of your own parenting experience or was it just something you felt called to, you know, early on in life? What, what kind of led you into this kind of work? Well, it was definitely not my idea. In many ways, it was Fuller Seminary's idea. I was a, a youth pastor, college pastor uh, at a church, loved doing that. Then I was a professor at another school, Azusa Pacific University, uh, teaching youth ministry. And Fuller had this vision of what if we could listen to the questions of leaders and parents, let that be in the driver's seat of our research, let that really determine our research questions and agenda, 
And then once we did the research, if we could translate that back into practical tools for, uh, for families, churches, ministries, really creating that feedback loop. And so they actually uh, came to me, Fuller came to me and said, we want to start this center. What do you think? And I read their founding documents. And I just thought, wow, this, this summarizes my heart for how the church and the academy can learn from each other. And so um, it was really Fuller's vision, which I quickly leaned into and, and resonated with me. Yeah, and it's really been kind of your sweet spot in your calling over these years. And uh, just I've, I've appreciated your work. And I, I really feel like maybe you feel like this, that, you know, there's a lot of unique perspectives and work that you're doing just really to devote uh, research to studying the behaviors of Christian teens, Christian parenting, all that uh, seems kind of a unique uh, project, if you will. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, there are plenty of folks who are helping parents and leaders know how to respond to young people, which is great. It's not always grounded in research. And there are a lot of folks doing research who don't always translate it into the practical ideas that that I know I crave as a leader and a parent. And so, so we do uh, kind of have this sweet spot of doing research, but then translating that research into practical resources. Yeah. So the title of this book is Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. I'm going to ask you what those three are. But before that, you say something kind of in the beginning part that every teenager is a walking bundle of questions. You know, and I, I have had you on before to talk about this. And this is something I'm really wrestling with in my own life and haven't, I'm still working on. But as a parent pivoting from, I don't know how to say it, almost like a top down model when your kids are younger, they've got to do what you say you know, eat this and do this. And now all of a sudden we're having to pivot and sort of treat our children in a different way. That's a hard pivot for us to do. So A, talk about that. And B, what do you mean when you say every teenager is a walking bundle of questions? Yeah. Well, and Daniel, just wait. I mean, your oldest is 16. Wait till they get about 18 and then it's another uh. pivot. So, and actually <laughs> uh, my colleague and friend, Steve Argue, and I write about this in our book, Growing With, that mm -hmm. there's a way that you parent at age 13 to 18 that's different than how you parent age 18 to 23 that's different than how you parent a 20 something and and you know your your question really is right daniel in that it needs to become a lot more mutual a lot more team um, a, a lot less uh, authoritarian so to speak and just a lot more collaborative that we're we're trying to journey together versus I'm trying to tell you or show you what to do. So, um, so yes, there are some pivots that we need to take. And in terms of uh, young people being walking bundles of questions, I mean, it's part of what I love about young people, having worked with them for more than 30 years, is that they are curious, they are inquisitive, they wonder why, they wonder how. And what my co-author Brad Griffin and I wanted to do, working with our research team, is in the midst of all the the immediate daily verbal questions that teenagers ask about friendship, about technology, about faith. What are some of the bigger questions that are bubbling beneath those questions? And how do we pay attention to the question beneath the question? Mm. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, it's funny, Kara, because I found myself, you know, when our kids were littler, my wife and I, you know, I was... I was always the one that was more prone to, I want to say passivity, but being a little bit more lenient. And she was prone to being more of a disciplinarian, actually 
there were strengths and weaknesses with both approaches. Totally. It's interesting, though, that the teenage years, at least with my oldest daughter and with my son, it's almost kind of flipped it in some ways where, you know, I've always felt so, see myself as kind of an easygoing guy and all this, but th- I'm a lot more old school than I realize. Uh-huh. And when my teens start asking questions, that kind of, it kind of triggers that in me in a way that I didn't even know was there. So what is that natural? <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, if you talk about you and your wife, it, it, by definition, in any couple, parent, step-parent, there's going to be one parent who's going to be more firm and one parent mm-hmm. who's going to be more relaxed. So I think what you described, you know, the heavens in our marriage too, for I'm, I'm the more firm one and my husband is the more relaxed one. But it, you know what, what is interesting is I think as parents and step-parents, we do have certain resonance with certain ages. And, you know, there are some people who love babies. They feel most comfortable with babies. There are other people who, and this would be me, I love teenagers. I mean, my my kids at age 20, 18, and 15, this is by far my favorite stage of parenting uh, up to now. So I do think we have different passions, proclivities, even personalities, and that comes into play with how we respond to our kids. And I think what's important is to really be aware of it. And we actually get into the book uh, about this too. And this just came up three days ago for me uh, on a family vacation is that the way that I'm wrestling with these three big questions as a parent, I can be triggered by how my kids are wrestling with them. Mm. So my kids' pursuit of answers to these questions can bring up my insecurities, my fears, sometimes my strengths also. So, so the reality is all of us are wrestling with these questions and that's part of why it's so helpful to always be aware of them. That's such a good point because sometimes when our kids, our teens have a question, we don't realize that actually sometimes it gets it to the root of our identity and almost for us provokes a little bit of an identity crisis for, for, for us. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I, I was having to remind myself of who I want to be as a parent and the stability I want to have as a parent, even when my kids are sometimes making that hard for me. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm also having to remind myself, you know, I'm 43 and I've wrestled with these things. Yeah. Right. And Sometimes there's a sense in which you want to fast forward your kids to where you are now and not give them the, the space or just have the understanding that they have to go through these things too. Uh, so I'm that's one thing I'm learning. Well, I want to get into these questions because uh, I just think this is really key. And then I want to circle back and, and talk about what we talked about in the beginning of the book about learning how to listen and how to listen to well, something I'm right. still struggling, struggling with. But the first one is, who am I? The question of identity. Yeah. Um, it seems like that's been an age-old question. I feel like today, and this is not based on any research, you would know more. I feel like today that question is pressing in on teens more than at any other time. Is, is that true? Uh, it, you know, it's hard for me to say more than any other time as a researcher, but I will say there are some unique, intense ways that young people mm-hmm. wrestle with identity or who am I, uh, but largely because of technology. And, you know, I think social media is a real gift in many ways. It helps young people experiment with who they are. Um, it helps young people think about what they want to project to others. But I think what can be hard about technology when it comes to identity is that it can seem like everybody else is doing so much better in establishing their identity than you are. And one of the themes, we spent a lot of time in our research listening to young people around the country 
deep dive interviews with young people. And one of the themes when it comes to their current answer for identity is that they don't feel like they're enough. They don't feel smart enough. They don't feel attractive enough. They don't feel popular enough. Uh, for young people of color, especially Latino and black young people, they don't feel black enough or Latino enough and, because they're navigating multiple worlds. And so um, while technology can be helpful in terms of giving you a chance to experiment with different senses of who you are, it can also make you feel insecure and constantly inadequate. Um, and so I do think there are some unique challenges for this generation when it comes to identity. Yeah, it really does. I mean, there's a couple things I think about with that is, uh, one, I, I've i read, and you've probably read his work too, but the work of uh, Kurt Thompson. And mm. when, you know, the, I think he's a neuroscientist or neurobiologist, somebody, somebody that works on the brain, but also knows theology really well. And one of the things he says in his book, The Soul of Shame, he says, the most important thing is to know that you're known by God and you know God. And it just seems like us as parents pressing that into our kids uh, is, is so important today because, as you said, because of social media, we're in an era where everybody feels like they're on stage and everyone's performing all the time. And and that can be very unhealthy, not just for adults, uh, but especially for kids who are not fully formed yet, right? And so I'm curious what advice you have for parents and, and their kids in navigating social media. Obviously, every parent has to figure that out, what works for their family. But what advice do you have for us as parents, as we're navigating that specific, you know, uh, question about social media? Yeah. Well, I, I, as we get to the next two questions, I, I think you said, Daniel, something really true that every parent needs to figure it out for themselves with their kid, because there are some ways that technology is really, really helpful um, in helping young people navigate these questions, connect with others, connect with mentors, peers, etc. But there are other ways that technology can be really toxic, can interfere with relationship with God and with others. And so, you know, I think every parent needs to pay really, really diligent attention. Um, and, you know, I would recommend that parents create some ground rules for how and when young people interact with technology. Um, you know, some of our rules are no technology at the dinner table. Like, and, and that's true for me, too that we're focused on each other. We're not focused on our devices. Um, we also, our kids in the car, like, you know, if, if we're picking up our kids from school or volleyball or church, um, it's normal for them to want a few minutes when they get in the car for them to check their devices because they've often been busy and haven't been able to. But after a few minutes, the devices go away because this is our time to talk to each other. And so, so you know, I, I, I recommend both knowing your kid and knowing how they're doing, what is too much for your kid, but then also, you know, have some times and some places that are technology free so that you can really preserve that family relationship. Mm, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And uh, I've read the work of uh, Jean Twenge with her book, iGen. And one of the things that really struck, uh, stuck out to me, and we've seen anecdotally in our family, is... There's a way in too much screen time, too much phone time can really inhibit the growth and development that our kids get from relationships, not just relationship with us, but relationships with friends. Yeah. Uh, and really even just the brain science that says our brains actually develop best in community. And so before we go on to the next question, just talk to parents 
about the need for us to, I, I found for us, the need for us to even almost like be proactive in creating spaces where they can be with good friends. That's a great point. Absolutely, Daniel. And, and uh, you know, some families, uh, uh, we haven't done this in a while, but some families, like if friends are over, they collect all the devices for even 30 minutes, 60 minutes, so that kids just interact with each other. Um, because you're right. I mean, it, it, I, I, it's sad to me when I walk past a group of teenagers at a coffee house or whatever it might be, and they're all on their phones um, it's even sadder when I go to a restaurant and I see a family and adult and kids, everybody is on their phones um, and not interacting with each other. So, so I think, it, you know, we can suggest or mandate, Hey, why don't you put the phones away and why don't you guys you know, play a game, do something together, take a hike, go out to the backyard, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but I, I will say this, that I would encourage you to talk with your, especially teenager about that ahead of time and encourage them to take the lead on it so that, you know, it's a 16 year old saying it, not the mom or dad or stepmom, stepdad of the 16 year old saying that. It's a lot easier to confiscate everybody's phones when they're 12 uh, than when they're 17. So, um, so we do need to, like we were talking about earlier, we do need to pay attention to our kids' ages. Uh, ideally talk with them ahead of time, create some goals about, you know, hey, in our family, we wanna make sure that when, when teenagers are over that they're interacting with each other, how can we create a space in our home that facilitates that? You know, do we need to have chips always around and, and cookies? And, you know, what, what do we need to provide so that our house is a place where people want to come and interact with each other versus, uh, you know, staring at the screen in their hand? Mm, that's such a great word. And I would say yes on the chips and the yeah. snacks. Hello, friends. I just want to tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers. And how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography, and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need, like their homework, getting a hold of them. My oldest one is driving and I want to be able to her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel and it's so good, they brought it over to the United States and it uses this proprietary technology uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. And so how this works is that even on your their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable or they're going to a website that they need to go to, but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the, the images from coming through. And it works uh, in multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash wayhome. That's canopy.us slash wayhome, C-A-N-O-P-Y dot U-S slash wayhome. And you can get a special discount. Your first 30 days free and 20% off of Canopy for life. So you want to do that. Go to canopy.us slash wayhome and check this out. It's a great tool that I know you will use and, and be thankful for as a parent. I like how you said about almost inviting 
our teens into the process of creating these ground rules so they feel like they have some buy-in. That's a great point that I haven't thought of, you know, rather than just being top down, right? Yeah. One of my one of my principles in ministry, and it's very true in family too, is people tend to support what they create. Mm. Um, and so, in fact, my husband and I were talking this morning about our 18-year-old going, she's going to college in a few weeks, and there's a couple last things we want to do to uh, help her prepare, prepare with her. And we were talking this morning about, okay, how do we talk to her about this? How do we how do we make this as much uh, her process, her agency? Um, how is she thinking about this with us instead of us saying, okay, here's what we want you to do in the next two weeks, which, you know, we might've done with a 10 year old. It doesn't work so well with an 18 year old. So, right. That's a great, that's really good. Okay. The second question is where do I fit? And man, I think this is so important. Um, you know, it can be hard for kids and every kid is different to feel like, where do I fit into this peer group, you know, to this youth group? to my uh, school, you know, this big school or in the world. So maybe uh, talk to us about this question. Yeah, yeah. This is a very pressing question. We call the question of belonging. So first is identity. Who am I? Second is belonging. Where do I fit? And some of my psychology colleagues at Fuller actually think that of the three questions, this is the leading one. This is the tip of the arrow that leads the other. And uh, they might be right. I'm not 100% convinced yet, but it certainly is a pressing question for young people. They're, uh, some of the phrases that we heard, they're hungry to know that they're safe. Um, that was the word that so many teenagers used when we interviewed them. That they, you know, Where they belong is where they feel safe, whether that's with peers, whether that's at home, whether that's at church, whether that's on the soccer team. Um, and then the other thing that we heard when it comes to belonging is, and I had not thought of this in 30 years of working with teenagers, is how belonging is often formed uh, by shared experiences or preferences. So it was striking to me at kids that we, as we interviewed them, they felt like they belonged when they had the same music taste as their friends. And in fact, a couple of the students we interviewed were like, basically doing homework to get up to speed on music so that when they next got together with their friends, they would know what was going on. Like they were investigating stuff, listening to music. So music, sharing music is big, sharing an experience, being on the same basketball team, being in the same AP class, uh, you know, being at the same Girl Scout troop, whatever it might be. Uh, those are the kinds of things, these shared experiences and these shared preferences are often part of the glue that helps young people feel like they belong. Now, we would say we want young people to know the unconditional love that comes from being loved by God and being in Jesus-centered community. So while sharing, um, while sharing experiences and personalities, that's not inherently bad, of course, um, we ultimately want young people to experience that withness of being with others who really understand them and are there for them no matter what. Yeah, that, that's really good. And your your other work has talked about the the with concept, uh, the withness. And I like the way you just framed it where belonging to God, being known by God, but being in Jesus-centered community. And, you know, I think sometimes we can get, I know I can, uh, get a, a sense of, well, if you know Jesus, he's enough. And we believe that and we want our kids to believe that. But we also maybe discount how important their friends are to them, how important that they feel accepted and beloved. Uh, sometimes it seems like, you know, obviously that can go too far in terms of wanting so much to be liked, but it's actually, you're saying it's actually not a bad 
thing to want to be liked and accepted, right? By yeah. by a community. And how can parents, you know, we're so far removed from our high school days. So for us, it seems no big deal. How can we, you know, enter into the experiences of our kids and really try to empathize with them on that? Yeah. Uh, well, I think keeping these questions in mind is huge. And, and I will say um, most of the conflicts I get into with my kids are uh, them wanting belonging with their friends and that triggering in me that I don't feel enough as a mom. Mm. Um, that's the big heat spot in our family. And, you know, which just came up three days ago, actually, where one of my kids did something that made me feel, it hurt my feelings, just to be totally honest. And, um, and everything in me wanted to withdraw. <laughs> and it, it took me about 10 or 15 minutes to kind of wrestle and pray through my feelings. And I realized, oh, this child, they're, they're looking for belonging from their friends. And so how do I be the stable wall? Lisa Demore talks about this. Um, how do I be the stable wall so that when my child wants mm. to return and reconnect with me, which this child did about five hours later, reached out to me when this child reaches out to me that I, I haven't moved, that I haven't withdrawn because my feelings are hurt or because I'm angry, but I have been that stable wall so that they can return back, uh, which actually is exactly what happened a few days ago in our family. Um, mm. So, you know, I think, I think just keeping these questions in mind is really helpful. I also think that we can ask questions of, of our kids uh, when it comes to, or, or kids in our church or ministry, when it comes to belonging, what are you looking for in a friend? What do you like about him or her as a friend? What do you guys like to talk about? If you could change anything about your friendship, what would you change? You know, who are some of the, who are the, some of the friends where you can be the most comfortable? Who are some of the friends where you feel like you can really relax? Like we can ask those kinds of questions. Again, when your kid's 11, you have a lot more control over their schedule. And, you know, if you don't, if you're not thrilled about one kid, you maybe just don't have that kid over. Whereas, you know, you encourage other friendships. It's a lot harder when your kids are teenagers uh, and interacting with peers constantly outside of your site. And so that's where our questions can help our, our a, a teenager get, have some of those ahas when it comes to their friendships. Yeah, that's 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 really good. Those are that's really helpful. Uh, talk about also how we can create spaces that make people feel welcome. And, and I'm thinking, you know, there's different kinds of kids and different kinds of environments. You know, even even think of youth pastors who are listening. How do you create an environment that, you know, on the one hand, you have kids who are very you know, you know, I have some kids that are very um, energetic, athletic. They like the high energy stuff, yeah. you know, all that, the more, the better. But then there's a lot of kids that just don't resonate with that or they, they feel like a little bit out of touch with some of those kind of environments. How can we create spaces where even people who maybe feel like they're not in the in crowd or so feel welcome in our youth groups, feel welcome even in our homes and, and places where we have you know, influence? Really good question. You know, the reality is about a third of the U.S. population are introverts. Um, I'm not, but one of my kids is. And it's been a really good glimpse for me to understand how they they prefer to connect with fewer kids on a deeper level uh, than, you know, the, the big crowd that I might want around. And so, 
you know, I would encourage a youth pastor or a parent, like, again, talk to your kid. This is part of the beauty about them being teenagers is they can express, you know, if you're a youth pastor, a small group leader, a mentor, church or ministry, um, you know, what, ask questions. What could we do to make this place, this time feel more welcoming? Um, how do you think you would feel if you were someone new who showed up? How can we help new people connect with each other? This is something, you know, I always encourage my teenagers, if they're going into a new place, like look for other kids who don't seem connected <laughs> and connect with them. Um, and so, you know, I think we can help create, do some of that matchmaking in our ministry. So when we see a couple kids who you know, don't seem to be connecting with anyone, maybe they'll connect with each other. So, so I would say, you know, ask, ask those teenagers how you could be more welcoming, safe, what they would change, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, think about, is there a little nudging you can do, especially as a youth pastor, uh, to help a few kids connect with each other who aren't connecting with anybody else yet? That's really good. The last question um, is, uh, what difference can I make? Yeah. And it seems to me like this is a, really a big deal in this generation. I, I remember as a kid growing up, youth group inspired, you know, we were going to change the world for, for Jesus. So it feels like it's something that Christian youth is, is kind of a, has, you know, experienced, you know, in every generation. But it seems today there's a lot more desire for young people to really make a difference. So talk about how parents can shepherd this uh, question that their teens have. Yeah. Yeah. And we call this a question of purpose. So there's identity, there's belonging, there's purpose. Those are the big three. And, uh, and I do think Daniel, I mentioned earlier that some of my psychology friends think belonging is the first among equals. I have wondered if with this generation of young people, purpose uh, mm -hmm. is right up there too, that they, they want to be uh, changed to change the world around them. Um, I, I think part of what I'm concerned about with this generation, and we saw this in our interviews, is there's a lot of kids who want to serve, who want to help others, but they don't really understand uh, a theological motivation for doing that. And so what we want families and youth ministries to talk about is that you know, God has a, a big story and we get to play our part. Or as I got to say at my 12th graders baccalaureate, God has a great story figure out your page, that each one of us has a page in it. And so what we do as parents and adults and mentors is we journey with that young person as they're figuring out their page. We help them figure out, you know, what are they passionate about? What are they best at? What might God be calling them to when it comes to vocation? And, and so again, it's, it's a lot of conversations that we want to have with our, with teenagers, whether they're our own kids or whether they're teenagers that we're mentoring or just investing in. And the book gives, we give over 300 questions um, that adults can use with teenagers, not all in one sitting, mind you. I mean, this is, a, this is, this is I, dozens and dozens of conversations you can have with young people using these questions and, and then really listening and, and going a little bit deeper with them. Well, this is such good stuff, and I'm so thankful for you, Kara, and your work. And I encourage everyone listening to check out uh, the work of Kara Powell. She uh, heads up the uh, the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Theological Seminary. Some great research and really great resources. And this latest book is Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Uh, Kara, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for a great conversation.
Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.